Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And with the help of the Lord, we'll consider today Philippians 1, the verses 12 through 18. And these words also form the text for the sermon. Let me read those words to you. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. So far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, when writing a letter to a loved one, it's customary and even expected that we give some indication of how we are doing. And that stands to reason. After all, our loved ones care about us. It's only natural then that we would tell them how we're doing. In fact, this is usually the first thing we do when writing a letter, especially after we've been sick or have experienced some kind of trial or hardship that our loved ones are aware of. But this was not true for the Apostle Paul. To be sure, he might have told the Philippians about the hardships of his imprisonment, how he was deprived of many material comforts, how he was chained to a Roman soldier day and night, how few visitors he received, and so on. But he didn't mention any of these things. Instead, after greeting the Philippians in the name of the Lord, and after telling them how much he longs for them, and that he prays for them, and what he prays for, Paul speaks with joy about how his imprisonment has unexpectedly advanced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, Paul made it clear that the advancement of the gospel meant more to him than anything. For as he would later say in the same chapter, for him to live was Christ and to die gain. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider the words of our text under this theme, the unexpected advancement of the gospel in Rome. And we'll see that this gospel has advanced despite the constricting circumstances of Paul's imprisonment, and secondly, despite the wrong motives of Paul's rivals. As mentioned, Paul in these verses focuses for the first time in this letter on himself. In fact, he does so with some urgency. He writes in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren. Now, whenever Paul uses the phrase, I want you to know, you know he has something important he wants to convey. And what was that? 
What does he want the Philippians to know? Well, he tells us. He writes, I want you to know that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, what are the things that Paul is referring to? Well, obviously, he's speaking here about his imprisonment in Rome. He's telling the Philippians that his imprisonment has actually served rather than hindered the cause of the gospel. And this is what Paul wanted to convey to him. This was the thing that was uppermost on his mind. Now, why did Paul want them to know this so badly? Well, there are several possible reasons. First of all, the Philippians were Paul's partners in the gospel. And Paul said as much earlier in this chapter in verse 5. He writes there that he thanks God for their fellowship or partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Philippians were Paul's partners. They were his co-laborers in the gospel. And as such, they had a vital interest in the spread of the gospel wherever Paul preached, but also, and we could say especially, in Rome. And even in the trying circumstances in which he found himself. And Paul knew this. He, he understood that the Philippians had such a vital interest in the spread of the gospel, and so this is what he intends to convey to them. Secondly, Paul wanted the Philippians to know this in order to deflect possible criticism. Apostle Paul had many detractors throughout his life. There were many people who were very critical of Paul. He speaks of that especially in his letter, 2 Corinthians. It's possible that there were some who were critical of him also in Philippi. They may have been saying that Paul was stubborn, that he never should have appealed his case to Caesar. And had he not done this, he would probably have been set free. And the cause of the gospel could have gone forth unhindered. And the fact that he didn't do this means that he could no longer preach the gospel. And so you can imagine some thinking to themselves, well, it's Paul's stubbornness that proved detrimental to the spread of the gospel. Thirdly, Paul wanted the Philippians to know this in order to deflect possible concern. Paul may have been concerned about how the Philippians would respond to the news of his imprisonment. Remember, the Philippians were relatively new to the faith, and for that reason, Paul's imprisonment might have been, for some of them at least, a stumbling block. Some of them might have been thinking, well, if Christianity was truly of God, then why would he allow one of his leading and valiant servants to be imprisoned? If this is what Christianity is all about, then either God doesn't know what he's doing, or he doesn't care. And if either of these is true, why should we continue to worship and trust such a God? Well, knowing this, Paul reports that rather than hinder the cause of the gospel, his imprisonment has only served to advance it. Now, the question is, how, in what way, did his imprisonment serve to advance the cause of the gospel? Well, first of all, he says, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, when Paul refers to the palace guard, he's referring to what is technically called the praetorium. The praetorium was a band of about 9,000 soldiers who were personally loyal to the emperor of Rome and who served as his personal bodyguard. Now, many of these soldiers had taken turns guarding Paul during his imprisonment. 
And since we know Paul was allowed to receive visitors, most of whom would have been fellow Christians, they would have been party to each conversation that Paul had. And when Paul was not receiving visitors, he would no doubt have spoken to these soldiers about Jesus, who he was and what he had done. And it's very possible that some of these same soldiers had even come to faith in Christ. And even those who did not come to faith in Christ, I'm sure many of them went back to their barracks after each shift and and they spoke about Paul. And it's not difficult to imagine what they might have said. You can imagine a soldier coming back after after his tour and uh, after his time of looking after Paul and and they would go and speak to their fellow soldiers and, and, and he would say, well, I just got back from guarding Paul of Tarsus and I, I have to tell you, I've never met anyone like him before. Certainly not like other prisoners. He never tries to escape. He's not vicious or abusive. He never swears. He's, he's gentle and, and mild and friendly. And he received visitors who love him dearly. And all he wants to talk about is, is someone by the name of Jesus of Galilee. I've never heard of this Jesus before, but whoever he is sure made a difference in Paul's life. And when it comes to his imprisonment, it's obvious he's not a criminal. He's in prison simply for preaching about this Jesus. His chains are in Christ. Now, in this way, word about Paul and Jesus spread throughout the barracks. Christ was being proclaimed among the Praetorian Guard who had direct contact with the emperor himself. There's no way Paul could have reached such people had he not been imprisoned. And therefore, his imprisonment advanced rather than hindered the cause of the gospel. And Paul wanted the Philippians to know this. But Paul mentions yet another reason why the gospel has advanced because of his imprisonment. He mentions it in verse 14. He writes, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Paul here is speaking about his fellow believers, in particular, his fellow ministers of the gospel in Rome. By this time, the church at Rome had been firmly established. The first congregation was formed several years earlier. And the good news of salvation spread like wildfire in that great city. Soon, several churches were established in the city. And God also blessed these churches with their own pastors, And Paul observes here that many of these pastors, rather than become frightened and discouraged by Paul's imprisonment, actually became emboldened by it. You say, why did did that happen? Well, because they observed how patiently Paul suffered and what comfort he received from the Lord in his suffering. No doubt at least some of them thought, even if I should be imprisoned, the Lord will not forsake me just as he had not forsaken Paul. Consequently, they were emboldened to keep on preaching. Now, we can learn several lessons from this. We learned, first of all, that our Lord knows what he is doing, even when we do not. Just consider the Apostle Paul for a moment. There he was in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, 24 hours a day, every day of the week, unable to move about freely, unable to preach. And we might think to ourselves, oh, what a waste. What a setback for the gospel of Christ. 
Think of what could have been accomplished in Rome had Paul not been arrested, had he been allowed to move about the streets of Rome freely. But no, dear friends, the gospel was still advancing. Christ was being talked about, yes, even among the praetorian guard. The pastors of Rome were emboldened to preach the gospel. Yes, Christ was using these difficult and painful circumstances to accomplish his purposes. And nothing and no one would stop him. The second lesson we learn here is this. Keep living out your calling before the world regardless of the circumstances. You never know how God will use it. Again, consider Paul in Rome under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, unable to move about freely. How did Paul respond to this? Did he become angry and bitter against God? Did he wallow in self-pity? Did he say, why is this happening to me? What have I done to deserve this? That's how many people think when adversity strikes, including, sadly, many believers. But that's not how Paul responded. He accepted his circumstances, and he just kept right on doing what he had been called to do, sharing the good news about Jesus to all with whom he came into contact. And the Lord blessed it, as we have seen. And my friends, the same is true for us. When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, let us not despair. Let us not become bitter or angry or wallow in self-pity. Rather, keep on living out your calling. You never know how God will use it. One writer writes this, Some of us believe we can only be effective for the spreading of the gospel if we'd have a changed change of circumstances. But have you ever considered that your mission field is right where God has placed you? Paul was in prison, so the prison guards became the objects of his evangelism. Maybe you've said to yourself, I can't preach the gospel, I can't be a missionary, I can't be a pastor. Perhaps you find yourself stuck in a job. Maybe you feel chained to your desk or to your workstation or with your children at home. Maybe you feel chained to a place on the assembly line or to a classroom or wherever the Lord has placed you. Well, wherever you are, even if it is a hard place like Paul's, consider that place your mission field. That everyone would know that you are a witness of Christ. Your character will witness to Christ. Your words will refer to Christ. So be ready for what God has planned for you in that place. And so the gospel advanced despite the constricting circumstances of Paul's imprisonment. But it also advanced despite the wrong motives of his rivals. And that brings us to our second point. Paul rejoiced at seeing his colleagues emboldened by his imprisonment. Preaching, he says, the word without fear. However, they did not all preach the word with the same motive. And Paul brings this out in verses 15 to 17. There he writes, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, 
but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now you'll notice what Paul says here. He acknowledges that all of his colleagues preached Christ, and they did so soundly. For if that were not the case, then Paul most certainly would have said so, and he would have denounced them as he did the false teachers in Galatia. But they did not all preach Christ with the same motive. Some, he says, preached Christ out of love. And by this he meant out of love for God, first of all, but also out of love for sinners, and especially out of love for Paul. And you say, why especially out of love for Paul? Well, Paul tells us, because they understood that he was appointed for the defense of the gospel. You see, these pastors understood that Paul's imprisonment was part of God's design, part of God's plan. God had placed Paul exactly where he wanted him, under house arrest by the Praetorian Guard, so that he could proclaim and defend the gospel before the emperor and others in positions of great authority. And they loved him for it. They loved him for his willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But others preached Christ, Paul says, even from envy and strife, and from selfish ambition, not sincerely. Evidently, these men were jealous of Paul. Now, why this is the case, we don't know. Perhaps they resented his leading position in the church. Perhaps, too, they resented his large following and the large place he held in the hearts of the people. Before Paul came, the people talked about them, and now all they're talking about is Paul, and these men didn't like that. Consequently, when they preached Christ, they did so with a view to at least two things. First of all, with a view to demonstrating that they were not inferior to Paul in any way. And secondly, with a view to regaining the affection of the people to whom they preached. Because, you see, their primary goal was not to promote the glory of God or extend the kingdom of Christ. Their primary goal was to promote their own glory and the extension of their own kingdom. Now, it's hard to imagine anyone acting this way, especially ministers of the gospel. But it can happen, still today. You see, ministers are also sinful human beings. And as such, they too can be jealous even of other ministers, if not openly, then secretly. They can be jealous of their gifts, their popularity, their winsomeness, the affection that they have in the hearts of people. And consequently, when they preach Christ, they too can do so like Paul's colleagues, even from envy and strife and from selfish ambition, not sincerely. And that is true not only of ministers, dear friends, but of anyone who's involved in ministry in the church of Christ. Office bearers can be jealous of other office bearers. Sunday school teachers can be jealous of other Sunday school teachers. One member of a committee can be jealous of another member of a committee. And over time, if this goes unchecked, ministry becomes not about others or even about Christ, but about ourselves. And this is precisely what was happening in Rome. And Paul knew it. 
And because he had such an open, honest relationship with the Philippians, he was not afraid to tell them so. But you notice how Paul responded to this. Verse 18, what then, he says, or what really matters is what he, what he means. What really matters? And Paul tells us only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul did not call these men out by name. He didn't call for their expulsion from the church. He didn't rally the people against them. Instead, he rejoiced that they were preaching Christ. Now, we can learn several lessons from this too. We learn, first of all, that ministry is not about us. Just look at the Apostle Paul. What an example he is of this principle. He knew that some of his colleagues were preaching Christ out of envy and strife and from selfish ambition, not sincerely. And yet he rejoiced. Why? Because he understood that ministry was not about him. It was about Jesus. And so even if some of his colleagues preached Christ with the wrong motives, at least they were preaching Christ. And as long as they were preaching Christ, then the gospel was being advanced and the glory of Christ was being promoted. Now, needless to say, this kind of attitude is so needed in the church today. There's far too much envying and strife in the church today, not only among ministers, but among all those who are involved in any kind of ministry, including parachurch ministry. We forget sometimes that ministry is not about us. The work we do in and for the church, whether that's teaching a Sunday school class or leading the youth group or serving as an elder or a deacon or serving as a member of a committee or helping out in the nursery, it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about advancing our name and our reputation and our agenda, but the name and reputation and agenda of the Lord Jesus. It's not about building up our kingdom. It's about building up the kingdom of Christ. John the Baptist is such a beautiful example of this. And John's disciples came to him and told him that Jesus was attracting more followers than John. John said to them, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. What a powerful statement this is. John rejoiced at Jesus' success. In fact, he acknowledged that Jesus was destined to be more successful than he himself was. He must increase, he says, but I must decrease. How could John say this? Because like Paul, he understood that ministry was not about him. It was about Jesus. Oh, may the Lord work the same attitude in all of our hearts. The second lesson we learn here is that sound preaching is Christ-centered preaching. Now, by Christ-centered, I do not mean that the entire sermon is about Christ, for the simple reason that not every text of Scripture is about Christ. I mean simply that the sermon has to connect to Christ in some way. It has to point to our need for Christ. It has to 
point to the sufficiency of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the attractiveness of Christ, the work of Christ, the person of Christ. A sermon can have many deficiencies. It may be too long or too short. It may be too theological and not practical. It may be too experiential or not experiential enough. It may lack application. But if it leads to Christ, then ultimately that is all that really matters. So long as Christ is preached, we can and should rejoice. And so we see then that the gospel of Christ advanced despite two great obstacles. The first was the constraints of Paul's imprisonment, and second, the motives of Paul's rivals. Now, my friend, in closing, let me ask you this question. Does does this surprise you? Well, it shouldn't surprise you because Christ reigns. You see, 40 days after his resurrection, Christ ascended into heaven, and he was seated at the right hand of his Father, And to him has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. And as the king of his church, he uses this power and this authority to gather, defend, and preserve his church so that not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. And he will continue to do so until he comes again. And he will do the same in each of us personally. Last time we saw that where the Lord has begun a good work, he will surely finish it. At times we may wonder how this is possible. There's still so much left unfinished. We still have such a long way to go. There are still so many hurdles to cross and mountains to climb, so many obstacles that stand in the way. Beloved, we need not fear, for he reigns. And that means his work in us will be brought to completion. Nothing and no one can prevent him from realizing his purposes within us. And these verses prove it. Even though Paul's circumstances were anything but favorable for the cause of the gospel from a human point of view, yet Christ was using those same circumstances to advance his cause and to promote his glory and to spread his word in Rome. And when his work is done, he will take us home. And then all striving will cease. And the gospel will advance to its final victory. And we shall be at rest in him forever. Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website, at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. 
If the Lord has placed on your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.